It's that time, another episode of the DFS Predators podcast, talking all things DraftKings tournament strategy for week seven. This is going to be a quick one. Uh, we, we ran out of gas late last night doing some research. I had some work stuff going on. Rob's having a crazy busy weekend with family, which is all good. So we got Rob on here for about the next 25, 30 minutes. We're going to have a hard stop, and then I'll do the sign-off myself here. So, Rob, uh, people kind of know the, the, the intro and the summary of the show. We're going to be talking about everything from uh, large field GPP tournaments to small field tournaments as well. You have an article up on the site right now, which people can check out for free at bettingpredators.com. It's your best plays and stacks for tournaments. Very in-depth piece, very helpful. I, I definitely encourage people, if you're setting lineups this weekend especially, to go give that a read. You can also check out Rob's uh, Millie Maker recap where he looks at the perfect lineup uh, perfect lineup and the Millie Maker winning lineup from each of the previous weeks to kind of dive into insights and strategies that we can take for the following weeks to come. So without further ado, uh, Rob, we're going to start off with quarterbacks on this show. Now for me, I, ha- I have my tournament uh, pool that I put into our uh, premium subscriber discord. And it's looking like one of those weeks where we don't have too much shock at the top. And it seems like there's quite a few options here. Uh, I I got about 10 players overall in my quarterback pool. Uh, I didn't know which guys are you specifically looking at uh, that that you're looking to target for any stacks uh, or or game environments to attack based off quarterback play uh, for this weekend. So, yeah, when it comes to um, quarterbacks, I, uh, you know, usually – you know, we we'll see that most of the uh, the quarterbacks are kind of spread out a little bit. There's not usually too much talk, but like you said, this week even even more so. It seems like um, you know the one that I'm showing is the most chalky would be Lamar, maybe at twelve percent. Uh, so so yeah, it's really 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 spread out. So it gives it it's nice because it gives you a lot of options. Um, and usually when it comes to quarterbacks, I'm kind of building the quarterback more around like the pieces that I'm playing at running back and receiver. So, you know, if I really want to play a, a certain receiver, like if I really want to play a CD lamb, then, you know, I'm more likely to put Dak Prescott in that lineup in a tournament lineup and things like that. So, so yeah, I mean, um, there's definitely a ton of options. Um, I'm really, I mean, I, uh, I really like, uh, Dak a lot this week. Um, and uh, Dak and Derek Carr, can't, kind of the two that jump out to me the most. They're a little bit higher, higher uh, rostered than than they're probably like third, fourth, fifth in that range. But at the same time, they're under ten percent. And like I said, it's it's more built around the pieces that I'm playing. And also with Dak, I just think that people are going to be like I love the game environment with the Detroit Lions. Uh, Lions have been awful, and um, but they've been competent enough on offense to keep up. So it's going to p- hopefully push Dak. And I think people are going to. Uh, be a little bit wary since it's his first game back from injury and that's the kind of thing I like to take advantage of in tournaments because um, any kind of uncertainty you know pushes people away from from plays and uh, he still to me has the same same upside uh, as he would Uh, it's just the uncertainty of not knowing if he's if and not having seen him play for months so um, yeah those are the kind of two the two of the guys I'm really really looking at yeah, I hear you there. Uh, obviously, the the biggest chalk of the week's shaping up to be Josh Jacobs. Probably going to be locked in to almost every single cash lineup out there. And and obviously, we talked about last night that you know Devontae Adams, great pivot point. It's not like he's going to be not owned at all, but he's going to be low owned enough, at least for it seems like right now, that we're going to be able to take advantage of that. And and obviously, you mentioned Derek Carr. For me personally, I look at that matchup as possibly using Devontae Adams as more of of a one-off piece, but I definitely wouldn't mind uh, having a lineup with possibly 
you know, Devontae Adams and maybe one of the other receivers. Now, the only thing that's messing that up for me is I was really hoping to look at a guy like Matt Collins as a secondary piece, big playability, but then Hunter Renfro looking like he's going to be playing after he was actually downgraded on the injury report during the week. So uh, I have a hard time clicking Hunter Renfro, even though possibly he could actually be the play over Matt Collins here. Uh, I, I do like that in terms of like, you know, Damian Pierce is also going to be a pretty chalky play. So I, I guess, you know, I think we kind of in agreement here of like who are the pieces we want to use in this game. And, and look, like even Davis Mills to an extent, uh, to an extent, you know, the lowest price quarterback you can get, you know, he's literally same salary sitting right next there next to Taylor Heineke. Uh, the Raiders have allowed the most schedule adjusted fantasy points in the league to opposing quarterbacks. And look, you look at Davis Mills game log and it's extremely ugly, but if you're playing, you know, even a, a, a mini stack or some type of stack correlated stack in there with Devonte Adams, you want to run it back with maybe a, a Davis Mills and a Brandon cooks or Nico Collins, things like that. If you're, this is a halfway decent game environment to attack in that aspect because the Raiders haven't been very good defensively as well. And then the Texans are coming off a bye. So uh, what are you looking at specifically? Are you looking at just single stacks to Carr and Adams? Are you looking at attacking that game uh, in, in a bigger type of angle or what are your kind of overall thoughts there? Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fine either way. I guess it kind of depends on uh, contest selection, but so when it comes to Adams specifically, I'm fine playing like Carr, Adams, Pierce, um, I think that would be a little bit more for smaller fields just because Pierce is a little bit chalkier. Um, so, you know, he's going to be uh, at least, you know, look, looking like 18 to 20% possibly. Uh, so I, I do, I don't mind doing that. Um, Cooks is, is less popular, but he projects pretty well for me. So I like playing, you know, Adams, uh, Car Adams Cooks in a, in any kind of lineups. Um, I'm fine with playing Car uh, Car Adams Renfro Cooks. Um, I know I know you had mentioned Renfro, not really liking him a whole lot, but um, the uh, the thing with Renfro Fro is that that uncertainty and the fact that he hasn't done so great so far this year is going to push that roster percentage down. Uh, it's showing at about five to six percent. So I'm fine, you know, he's only 4.9K, so I wouldn't mind plugging him in as like a double stack with uh, Carr and Adams, bringing it back with either Pierce or, or um, Cooks. Um, now, if, you're, if you, you know, really love the game environment, which I do like this game environment a good, a good amount, I think it's showing at, what, 45 and a half uh, combined total. They're playing in a dome, which I love for a passing uh, game. So if you wanted to play, if you're in a real smaller field, you know, and you want to do an onslaught, type of uh, lineup you could do, even do car um car adams foster moreau and then run it back with either uh, both of pierce and cooks or or cooks and nico um but that's that's going to be a smaller field just because obviously there's a little bit of negative correlation in there uh considering obviously you know the stats that one of these guys gets is not what the other guy's getting so but then at the same time you know Obviously, if the if the other side's pushing it and they're pushing it, they're pushing each other's ceilings. So there is some some slight you know positive correlation when you're talking talking about that. And uh, onslaught lineups can be very very good in smaller field tournaments. Yeah, and uh, I I think that for me, what I've noticed is that Damian Pierce's projected ownership on some of the sites I look at uh, has actually ticked down quite a bit over the last couple of days. He was 
looking, I think, in the mid-20s, now down to the mid-teens. And, I mean, you know, you look at Adams as a direct leverage point off of Jacobs. I think Damian Pierce could be the same thing. I, I almost am more kind of gravitated to the just a pure mini stack between Adams and Pierce, even though it's not like a super contrarian play, but I think it's low owned enough in that game environment. Like you talked about, we saw Pierce start to take over a lot of the high value touches, targets in that offense away from Rex Burkhead. And the Raiders haven't necessarily been a great defense on the ground either. I'll be even, you know, through the air, they've been bad on the ground. They've been bad as well. So uh, look, I mean, we all think that Josh Jacobs is due for a great game. I've got him ranked top five in my fantasy rankings, which you can find on the site for free. But uh, yeah, you don't want to play all of the most owned plays because then even if they have a great game, you're never going to separate yourself from the rest of the field because everyone's going to be on the same guys. And that's why we want to focus on some of that ownership percentage that we talk about a lot here. And you can read that in, in Rob's article too. But no, that's good points there. Uh, you know, my, my top five, just for context, uh, Outside of Kyler Murray, who I had number five, played Thursday night. Lamar Jackson won. Herbert, Mahomes, Burrow. And then I have Dak Prescott there, who you brought up already. I, I think the the following guys are also in play. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, Geno Smith, actually, just because of salary, I'm guessing it, it is projected to be the highest-owned quarterback on the slate. So I think maybe uh, I, I'm, I'm going to look to use, like, DK Metcalf in a few lineups, maybe a little – maybe a, a chalky Kenneth Walker in one or two spots, but kind of trying to stay off of uh, Geno Smith more than the other guys. Um, and, and then I also do like down the board a little bit uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan. I, I just think that with the, with the defenses that they're facing on paper, uh, the Titans are actually like the number one defense in the league at stopping the run. When you look at our cheat sheet in terms of PFF run defense grade, football outsiders, ESPN's run stop win rate. And that was kind of the same formula we saw come out last week with the Colts is, is no huddle, quick offense, quick passing. And they could have some success uh, against a very beatable Titans secondary. Uh, same goes for Rodgers against a very beatable Washington secondary. I was actually looking at a few, you know, we have our own air yards, uh, not air yards. We have a, a buy low model for receiving yards. There's other people in the industry who have uh, DFS uh, buy low models for things like air yards, et cetera. Uh, I was very interested to note on 444.com, they have Alan Lazard as, as one of the highest usage players on their breakout receiver model. So I definitely do think there are some viable single stacks or double stacks with Rodgers in that, in that game with how they've struggled to run the ball. Uh, with both Alan Lazard and Romeo Dubs. And and Brian Robinson's one of my favorite plays on the slate from just a pure matchup perspective, playing at home with a new quarterback. I don't think they're really going to try to let Heineke loose in the passing game because the Packers' strength is in their pass rush and their secondary. Uh, I think Robinson could be due, due for a huge game there on that uh, in that early down type of role. So Rodgers double stacks with a Brian Robinson bring back. It's probably – a very unsexy thing. I don't think it'll be very high owned, but that's something that I've had on my mind since even early in the week when I was beginning to look at initial salaries and things like that. Any final thoughts? Uh, any of those guys that I mentioned stick out to you more than the other? Any final thoughts on quarterback, Rob? I would say Brady kind of sticks out a little bit more um, to me. Um, oh, and but, I, I forgot to mention Jimmy Garoppolo. He's on my list too, but yeah, go ahead on Brady. Yeah, Brady. Well, I was going to say Brady, Garoppolo, and. Um, Burrow are kind of the ones that stick out the most to me um, in terms of, of plays. And um, especially because, you know, I mean, Godwin's going to be um, a little bit more chalky and, but you can play Evans um, and get, get pieces there. And uh, 
you know, it's going to be, it's, it's tough to play, honestly, anyone from Carolina at this point uh, with McCaffrey gone. So, I mean, the only real viable piece, I think if you're doing a, um, you know, a run back would be DJ Moore and it's been, it's been rough so far for him this year, but he, he does. I mean, he, he is a very, very talented player. Um, he can go off any week. He's under 5k at this point and he's going to be under 10% rostered. So, you know, people don't want to play him because of what he's, what it's been for him and Carolina this year. So I don't mind playing any kind of like Brady with Brady with Evans and uh, DJ Moore type of stack. Um, so that that's kind of more what sticks out to me. Yeah, I hear you there. I, I, I'm kind of like, I've cooled off a little bit on Brady and we'll hop into running backs here in a second. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I do know that the one bright spot for Carolina has been their defense. And uh, J.C. Horns had a pretty good year. I expect him to line up a lot with Mike Evans. And, and one thing I've seen from some shows that break down some tape is that you know, we, we figured Evans would have a big game as well. Last week against the Steelers was very disappointing, even with his overall target share in that game, uh, that it's almost like the interior of the line for the Tampa Bay is so bad that, that he's basically basically using these short passes to Godwin as an extension of the run game now that Godwin appears to be fully healthy. So I'm a, even I love the ownership, projected ownership on Evans. It's super low and – Maybe I'm playing a little like too scared there, but I'm a little afraid to play that, uh, knowing that you know that matchups there on paper against Evans and the Panthers still can get there with a halfway decent pass rush. And I thought that the last two weeks that you know T- Tampa Bay was going to smoke Atlanta and then Pittsburgh last week, who had an absolutely decimated secondary. Uh, I'm a little concerned. I-, I will be playing at least probably one. Tampa Bay lineup I'm not sure how I'm going to go about it just yet I think you know because you're looking at the main guys that I'd want to play you know God when you mentioned is shaping up to be pretty chalky uh Fournette is kind of in that middle spot around 10 15 percent which I don't mind playing with his locked in workload in the passing game so I I do like that uh, as well and then you have Kate Otten you know great season-long fantasy play if you got him this week I've got him ranked close to my top 10 overall but He's going to be the most popular tight end, so I, I don't know how much I want to go to Kate Otten in tournaments, especially if 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 the Bucks have a little bit of success, but then the Panthers can't push back. You got to wonder, uh, you know, how much can Tampa Bay, how much do they even want to really do uh, in, in this game? But, uh, but yeah, no, good good points overall. And that you know, the two guys that normally in the past that I would have gone to Rob, but I, I just they're not making my pool for this week is guys like uh, Mariota and. Uh, Daniel Jones like maybe the Mariota thing will come back to bite me but I, I just the pace at which the Falcons want to play at and have that success playing at I just don't know if they're going to open up the passing game unless they're really far behind and I'm skeptical of that even against my Bengals here on the road at Cincinnati so we'll see I you know maybe maybe include like one piece and a bring back if we're looking at some Joe Burrow double stack with Chase and Higgins maybe running it back with with a Kyle Pitts to lock in that tight end correlation there uh, but I don't know, man. Daniel Jones, like I, I, I get it, the rushing upside now. But even after a pretty good matchup last week, like we kind of saw that Dayball is playing this super safe, and I know Wandale's back, but you know it's, it's only one guy. So I'm, I'm a little, uh, even at the price point, I don't know. Is I know he was your guy last week. Are, are, you, are you still on Daniel Jones this week, or are you have you backed off at all? Or what's what's your thoughts there? Um, I don't mind playing him actually. Um. Especially, I mean, how can how can you uh, how can you ignore the uh, the Evan Ingram revenge game narrative? You know what I mean. <laughs> but no, um, honestly, I don't mind playing Daniel Jones just because, like, right now, 
using what I'm using is he's shown as like a top three to five uh, projected point per dollar play. He's only because he's only five point one K. And then on top of that, uh, he's under five percent. And I do actually like put it pairing. I know I joked about the Evan Ingram thing, but I do like pairing Evan Ingram with him because he's only three point three K and under under four percent. Um, so I don't mind that. Uh, the, obviously, the pass catchers gets a little dicey for him. Um, but I, th- I do think it's a cheap way and you could run it back with, uh, you know, a cheap and unchalky, you know, unpopular Zay Jones or even like Christian Kirk's only 5.9 K and he's, uh, you know, under, under 8% right now too. So I don't mind, I actually don't mind it with, uh, with Daniel Jones this week. Yeah. I, the only, the piece for me that sticks out the most is when I was setting lineups early in the week was Wandale Robinson at his price point. He at least offers you that upside, like really high target per route run rate last week and you figure his role is going to go up a little bit in the snaps and the rats department is he's obviously not going to uphold that TPR, you know, rate, but uh, you know, at least he'll be more involved and possibly just get more overall volume. He's clearly the best receiver that they have out there compared to the likes of Slayton, Marcus Johnson, David Sills. I, I, I mean, that's what's, that's what worries me a little bit about Daniel Jones's pure passing upside. Maybe, maybe even playing Daniel Jones. It's like, just naked in the lineup and he rushes enough to get you something. And the touchdown he throws is the David sells and it, and it literally only benefits you anyways in that case. So uh, I think that's definitely could be, I, I really like actually like uh, this is just, I haven't thought about this really yet until you're, you're bringing some points up is, is uh, I really like ETN on the other side. I, I've got him as a top 12 player and the giants against the run have been really bad. You saw what Kenyon Drake was able to do against them last week and other similar running backs in the past, but uh, ETN's been super hyper efficient these last few weeks. He's continuing to get a larger role, even though just little by little each week it's starting to increase. And we talked about him last week. He had a pretty good game, and uh, it's looking like he's almost like a matchup proof back at this point to where he's going to get at least a split of the early down work. But if they do fall behind, uh, then you, you do see him taking over that role as the pass down back. So I love the explosiveness, the efficiency. I love his price tag, and I love the fact that despite the price tag and the matchup here on paper that you know he's he's projecting for extremely low ownership, less than 5% uh, on EstablishTheRun.com. So definitely excited to play that. I wouldn't mind like just a super mini cheap correlation of ETN and Wandale Robinson or maybe ETN and Evan Ingram, and it helps you fit some of these more expensive guys with higher ceilings into your lineup. So I think that's the way I'm looking to attack this game overall is, you know, keep it to like two, three pieces at the most in one of your lineups that you're going to set. Um, you know, Ra, I know you got to go off in about five minutes here. So I, I want to dive into the flag plants uh, for the week, uh, our top leverage plays. And uh, I'll, I'll just do a quick run through on the position by position stuff once you sign off here. So um, I know we, we texted last night about it. I, I know I told you mine, and I'll, I'll let you go first so, so we can get you off here in time. But uh, you, you mentioned Devontae Adams as, as one of the guys you were looking at as leverage, obvious leverage off the Josh Jacobs chalk, such a high ceiling for Adams. Maybe it's his price point that's going to keep that ownership level in check despite his talent. So uh, is Devontae Adams on your final list, and what are your top two top leverage plays for Week 7? Yeah, Devontae Adams is uh, one of my is probably maybe my the top for me. Um, and I know he's a you know we talked about it, we texted about it last night that he's not super low owned, but um, you know he's he's probably going to be under ten percent just because uh, 
one, his price point, uh, two, people are going to be playing so much Josh Jacobs that people don't like to play both in the same lineup. So, um, yeah, he's, he's anytime basically I can get, uh, Devonte Adams at a third of the, uh, the ownership as, as Josh Jacobs, um, and under 10%, it's, it's, it's a good spot for me because the thing is, is like, I think to myself is, is I, I love Jacobs this week. Don't get me wrong, but is Jacobs three times as likely if you ran it, you know, if you ran it four times, is Jacobs going to, you know, smash three times and Devonte only one, um, in a, in a matchup where, you know, they're playing against a Houston defense. It's not really the greatest. They're playing in a dome, uh, at home. Like, I just think, uh, Adams is one of the best, you know, receivers in the league and he can go off any matchup, let alone, you know, uh, a solid one. So, yeah, he's 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 uh provides you know huge leverage, and even though he's not the the lowest owned kind of guy, um, the leverage that you can get by playing him, and you know whether it's him and Pierce, uh, since Pierce you know has that price point leverage too. So just the combinations that you can get because you can get if you get both him and Pierce as you mentioned before, you're getting you know leverage off uh, with uh, Adams alone plus price point leverage with uh. Um, with Pierce and you're getting that correlate same game correlation too. So I love like that, all of it adding up and that, that makes it so, so good for me as, as why I really love uh, I'm going to be really overweight on Adams in in tournament lineups this week. Yeah. I I like that. Just the ceiling alone uh, of Adams, the Mm -hmm. ceiling projections that you see on different sites out there. And he's right up there and it's a clear top three at receiver CD lamb, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, and obviously CeeDee Lamb is going to be very chalky, but Adams yeah. is coming in as the low, lowest projected ownership of the three. Definitely hear you on that. I, I will definitely be looking as well to get some Devontae Adams into my lineup here as I hand-build some stuff over the weekend. Uh, who, who's your other uh, top leverage play flag plan for Week 7? So, yeah, this one's going to be a little bit more more typical of your low-owned kind of grosser <laughs> play. Um, but I'm going to go with Zeke here. Um, Zeke, you know, he has a huge negative connotation at this point. Uh, everyone, you know, loves Tony Pollard, hates Zeke pretty much at this point, but Zeke still gets a ton of work. And, you know, we know volume over pretty much almost anything at, at uh, in terms of correlation to running back points. We mentioned earlier, this is one of the best, you know, offensive environments on the slate. Uh, they're looking at like what, 49, I think for somewhere around 49, 50 points as the, as a combined total. Um, Dallas has one of the highest implied team totals, uh, near 28 points. I think it's 27.75 is what I'm looking at now. And, you know, Zeke still is the lead back on this team, uh, with the return of Dak, um, that should hopefully push the ceiling of this, uh, game and the Dallas offense they should you know be able to move the ball better they should score more points it's going to get set up more opportunities it wouldn't be surprising at all if Zeke you know handled especially if they get up if Zeke handled uh 20 touches in this game and had a couple touchdowns and uh caught a couple passes and he, you know he finishes with 25 points or something 30 points uh, at the end of the end of the day I mean it wouldn't be shocking at all um he's checking in right now under five percent and as you mentioned with CeeDee Lamb CeeDee Lamb is probably the chalkiest wide receiver on the slate. So playing Zeke gives you direct leverage off of CeeDee Lamb. Uh, playing Zeke also gives you direct, pretty much price point leverage off of the two chalkiest running backs in Jacobs and Kenneth Walker. Uh, Walker's only 2K underneath. And who's going to look at Kenneth Walker and what he's been doing 
see that he's cheaper than Zeke. Look at Zeke and what he's been doing, knowing he's splitting with Tony Pollard, and say, yeah, I'm going to pay two, $200 more for Zeke. So um, obviously we're dealing with uncertainties here, but is, you know, to me, I'm thinking, I love I love Kenneth Walker this week. Don't get me wrong, but is he ten times more likely to outscore Zeke on on the slate, especially given the matchup? I don't think so. So I'm going to be overweight on Zeke, given given the uh, the the everything adding up there and all the leverage you can get. Yeah, I, I hear. I love I love the uh, Zeke. I, I don't know. I feel like his ownership is going to come in a little bit higher. So the site that I'm looking at right now has him around 14, percent but okay. probably somewhere in the middle. You average that out, it's still going to be good enough to where you can definitely get some good leverage and, and ownership there. Uh, I even like Tony Pollard to an extent, like literally looking in the single digits between like one to 3% right now with his explosiveness in that matchup. So I like that price point uh, uh, point that you bring up there too, of getting Zeke in there when, when he's around those younger, sexier, higher upside type of running backs too. So, all right, so we'll leave it at that. And I know you talked about Derrick Henry and you're right up on the yeah. site. So make sure to go to bettingpredators.com. Everybody that's listening now, Check out Rob's two articles on his DFS Millie Maker recap early in the week, as well as his DFS best stacks and strategies to target for week seven DraftKings tournaments. Uh, Rob, I'm going to let you go here. Now you got to run and do a bunch of birthday stuff today. So make sure everybody to follow Rob on Twitter. Uh, check him out at Norton0723. Doing some really cool stuff on there, raising money for charity with fantasy football. Definitely go check Rob out. Uh, Rob, have fun out there this weekend. Best of luck in your tournaments, and uh, definitely look forward to your next article, uh, breaking down the next perfect lineup. Hopefully, it's one of us. Hopefully, you'll be, yeah. uh, be breaking down one of our lineups. On that Monday. would be that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully next week, uh, you know, it'll be a little bit less busy. We can I can get the uh, the whole podcast in with you, and uh, uh, you know, I always look forward to it, and enjoy it. It's one of my favorite favorite parts of the week. You know, breaking down. Uh, Breaking down DFS, especially tournament tournament building, it's become one of my favorite things to do every week during the football season. So I really enjoy it. So I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get back with you next week. All right, big thanks to Rob again for hopping on there. I know we had to cut things a little bit short. I just want to go in and finish up some of the final thoughts here on the position by position breakdowns. Uh, talking about the running back position, I know Rob brought up Ezekiel Elliott. He also wrote up Derrick Henry in his write up there. Uh, a couple of the guys that stand out to me the most at running back that I wanted to highlight, obviously talked about Tony Pollard, just in that game environment that we want to attack. There, there's five games specifically that you're looking at pace of play, uh, looking at ceiling projections, and you're looking at Seattle, you know, Chargers, you're looking at Lions, Cowboys, obviously Chiefs and 49ers are starting to project really well especially with the addition of Christian McCaffrey in there, even though he's going to be limited to a few red zone plays. He's not going to be owned at all, and I'm not saying that I'm going to play him much either, but just that game environment of those two offenses and the 49ers defense still being pretty banged up is going to open up a lot of ceiling uh, plays for those 49ers pass catchers and then very cheap Kansas City pass catchers to go along with it. Two other games that we touched a decent amount on Houston, Las Vegas, uh, and then Atlanta, Cincinnati, I think is another really good, at least from the Cincinnati passing attack environment to where even there's some cheap running backs that you know don't look great on paper, but Falcons have been really persistent about establishing a ground game here. And, and guys like Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley could be in line for you know 15 plus touches a piece, some goal line opportunities at a very, very cheap price tag. I don't mind throwing uh, one of those guys into the mix uh, as just a way to 
semi-correlate with the Bengals stacks, but then also just getting enough salary relief at an extremely low ownership percentage rate. Uh, you know, those guys haven't really been catching passes, but honestly, at this point with that salary, I don't really care if we're getting enough ceiling in there. So not saying I'm going to force that, but it's definitely an option that I have on the table as, as one of my top value point plays for running back. Uh, uh, so uh, again, like for me personally, I have a pretty decent sized running back pool uh, for this week. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's coming in. Uh, if you read Rob's article, he wrote up Derrick Henry, but on the other side, JT got in a full week of practice and he's going to be extremely low owned compared to the rest of the field. We're talking about close to 5%. And I think that's a great way to where if he, he was already starting to run more routes than Naheem Hines was, Naheem Hines was earlier in the season and the Titans have been very good stopping the run. So if Taylor's going to be utilized here, well, we already know he can break off a big run, even against a, t- a tough matchup uh, on paper. But he can also be heavily involved in the passing game, similar to what we saw with Deion Jackson last week, where Deion Jackson was a starting running back, caught 10 passes. Now, I'm not saying Taylor's going to do that, but he gives you even more upside if that game script and game plan starts to play out like we saw in week six with the Indianapolis Colts and that new offensive approach. So – Definitely digging me some Jonathan Taylor just in that regard there uh, in terms of pure upside on the slate. Um, you know, guys like Barkley, Eckler, uh, you know, they're looking to be, you know, pretty high owned to an extent. Derrick Henry's ownership has fallen down a decent amount. Um, you know, I, I like – I talked about Leonard Fournette, obviously. Uh, Eckler I like if you're using him. He's going to be a little bit chalky here at about 20% ownership. But 20% ownership isn't the same as uh, – Josh Jacobs at 36% ownership. So I, I Josh Jacobs, I, I don't know if I can play him in, in my tournament lineups. It just, I don't know if it just makes sense to get you really, you if you play a Josh Jacobs in your, in your tournament lineup, you have to go really, really contrarian at your other positions because you want to look at your cumulative ownership at the end, right? Like there is no hard, fast rule around it, but at the end of the day, once the, once your lineups lock at one o'clock, you want to look to see what the ownership percentages are for those guys who are playing. And you can see for your specific tournament what that ownership percentage was in a tournament, right? So you're going to see, if you're going to see Josh Jacobs at 35%, you really want your other guys to be coming in at 5 to 10% at the most because you don't want your total ownership when you combine all the ownership percentages for your guys in your starting lineup. You don't really want that being much above 100. And once you start to creep into that 120 to 130 range, it really starts to be a lot. And, you know, how are you going to separate yourself from the field and finish top five in a tournament with hundreds, if not thousands of players? So there's no way you're going to do that if you have every every person in your lineup is going to be owned between 20 to 30 plus percent. It's just impossible. So think of that as you're constructing these things. And, and, and we'll probably do a little bit of a deeper dive on some of this ownership percentage stuff and the strategy behind it. But, uh, you know, guys like you know, Kenneth Walker projecting 25% ownership. Uh, you know, again, like, who are you playing around these guys? I, I think it's okay to play a Jacobs if you're going super contrarian everywhere else. Similarly, it's okay to play a Walker and an Eckler, but you got to be careful there. And I would say to an, to an a lesser extent, like the guys in the mid-range here, Damian Pierce, Brees Hall, who I, who I really like, uh, game script proof back, uh, as well as Saquon Barkley. Joe Mixon's projecting pretty highly as well, close to 20%, a little bit less than that. So, you know, these guys are all great plays. Uh, we're all starting them in our fantasy lineup season long if we have them. But uh, Aaron Jones, the guy to me that's coming in at, at a pretty good ownership percentage with the upside, like 
4% projected ownership for Aaron Jones. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers has talked about the need to get him more involved. And with how bad their offense is like, you you got to be shocked if we don't get one of these games where Aaron Jones gets you know, at least five up to 10 plus targets. I, I know it might not happen, happen much, even though it was talked about a lot in the preseason, but uh, it's an ugly play. If you look at the box score game log production from Jones on DraftKings, you're not going to want to play him, which is why he's going to come in at low ownership because the guys that no one wants to play, we've seen historically Aaron Jones have that upside there. And, and I would say also with DeAndre Swift in that same range, like we don't know, and I'm sure he's going to be limited to an extent here, but if the Cowboys with Dak Dak playing at home with that pass rush, if they can make things a little bit difficult for the Detroit Lions and the Cowboys are able to establish a lead here, then we could see Swift flourish in that pass catching role. So that's what I'm looking at for Swift. You know, extremely high ceiling. You know, coming in with the questionable tag is going to drive down ownership because people are afraid to play guys with the questionable tags, especially when they're coming off multi week absences like Swift is. But He's had quite a long time to heal, and it's looking like that the coaches are going to use him. The question is how much. I think that makes him valuable uh, for tournaments here. And, and then a couple guys, I mentioned Brian Robinson. I really love Brian Robinson. You know, look, if, if, the, if things get out of hand and the Packers build a 14, 21-point lead, but the way the Packers are playing, do you think they can really do that against anybody? And if, the, if Washington can just keep things close here, uh, or at least reasonably close, you know, between you know up to a fourteen point game. I I, I see them sticking to the to, to that situation neutral run rate that they had in that last game against Chicago. So Brian Robinson getting better each game coming off his coming off his leg injury, and he's the early down back. Seventeen carries last week against Chicago. He's going to be used at the goal line inside the red zone as well. Had the rushing touchdown. Just look at what running backs have done against his Packers uh, uh, defense here. And, and and I think that Robinson is a fantastic play, even as a one-off at a decent salary price. Or again, like I said, met, uh, mixing him in, correlating him with a, a Rodgers single stack, a mini stack with Dobbs and Robinson or uh, Lazard and Robinson. Or you you want to play the Rodgers double, Rodgers single. I think correlating those with the Brian Robinson is, is a very good way to stay unique, but then capture Probably the upside of like the biggest mismatch on paper in terms of run blocking, run defense advantage on the slate here. Uh, ETN brought him up as well. He he was close to being uh, one of my flag plants last week. Uh, you know, sneak peek that he is going to be one of my top two flag plants this week. He'll be my running back top leverage play uh, coming in at very low ownership, 2.7%. Again, like that matchup there, his his efficiency, his explosiveness. Rookies get better with every game. So guys like Brian Robinson, ETN, you know, who aren't going to be chalky like Kenneth Walker will be, uh, you know, Brees Hall, Damian Pierce, like these guys are only going to get better. Their roles are only going to grow as the years move on. So I'm definitely looking to strategically target some of these backs. And one thing I will mention is here, uh, Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill. Uh, I like Drake regardless here, uh, but – uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to play them if Gus Edwards is projected to play. I haven't heard the final news on that yet, but I don't want to touch this situation if it's a three-way committee. But if Gus Edwards is ruled out, I will be putting both Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill into play. Uh, extremely low salary for these guys here. And we saw, like, and we, you know, I mentioned the Packers being one of the worst run defense in the league. Well, you know who actually is the worst? It, it's the Cleveland Browns. And... Uh, man, like 
that's what I want to attack, especially with a defense, an offensive scheme running the ball like the Baltimore Ravens against this type of uh, defense. It's almost a dream come true on paper here. And, and the salaries are so low to where we can fit these guys in and, and capture that upside. Kenyon Drake, 5,100. Then you're looking at Justice Hill, 4,200. He's coming off a multi-week absence, but uh, he's been healthy all week in practice. And before he got hurt, uh, he was having some really big plays and almost looking like the best back in that offense. So, man, like I know it's not – again, these are ugly plays here, but the matchup is fantastic. And if Gus Edwards is ruled out officially, like I will definitely be putting both Drake and Hill, not together, but one of those guys into each of my lineups as I construct them. You don't get a chance to get a high upside back in a great matchup hardly ever at 4,200 because usually those 4,200 guys, they're going to be extremely chalky. Uh, but in this case, it's not going to be that way with all these other chalk options near the top that we mentioned already. So keep your eye on the Ravens situation. Uh, last I checked, it's looking like uh, they were Edwards could be activated, but there has been no official uh, news on that yet. So let's move on to wide receivers. Obviously, like we'll skip the Raiders part. Uh, Devontae Adams, Matt Collins, Hunter Renfro. For me, it's really only Devontae Adams at this point if Renfro's playing. Uh, I, I know that Renfro provides a good salary relief, I think. Uh, and at the same time, also, I will say that Houston's been pretty good on the perimeter against receivers. Stingley, they've had a, a, a pretty solid defense overall this year, actually, kind of below the radar there. But I, I just don't know if – I know that Waller's out, but Renfro there, what is his true ceiling? Maybe maybe it is. Uh, maybe he can rack up a lot of targets in the slot. So I think ownership-wise, like – he kind of sneaks in there over Matt Collins if they're both going to play. Again, if Renfro was out, I would definitely feel better about just Matt Collins alone. But if Renfro's in, I might have to just at least get him in one of those correlated stacks. I'm not playing Renfro by himself, but maybe I'll play Renfro and Adams together, or maybe I'll throw Renfro in that double stack uh, as well as uh, using Foster Moreau in my cash game lineups. So there's there's a lot of good cash game tight end uh, options this week. Well, this is more of a tournament show, so – uh, Jamar Chase and T Higgins, they're both in that 10 to 15% range, but that's where you want these guys. Like normally, like I would even consider playing one of these guys at 20% when you're talking about 25% combined ownership uh, with that ceiling, pairing them with Joe Burrow, who's going to be pretty low owned as well. Uh, I love that environment for the Bengals there against a very beatable Atlanta Falcons secondary. I know they have AJ Terrell on the outside, but the good thing about uh, this matchup with the Falcons is that uh, Atlanta's actually been playing AJ Terrell by himself outside. Like they're not using him to bracket or double team other receivers. So you're talking about a second year defensive back who's who's pretty good in his own right. But you know these are two of the best receivers in the league. So if, if you're putting him one on one on an island against those guys, like I'm going to bet on the receiver in that case, especially with the Bengals going to that shotgun look last week, giving Joe Burrow uh, just a little bit more time to scan the field and have less uh, you know time on his dropbacks uh, to get back there in the pocket. So Really like both Jamar Chase and T Higgins because Higgins and Chase are fully healthy. Like I just I can't go to Tyler Boyd. I I, I could see it maybe in, in a in a millimaker maker thing where you have to literally get the nuts lineup and get every single thing high ceiling to where Boyd's not going to be owned at all. But I really want to focus mostly on on Chase and Higgins here. Unless I do a a Burrow triple uh, where you're playing Burrow Chase Higgins Boyd, you can really only play those things in like smaller field tournaments where. Uh, you know, you don't need the absolute like top outcomes for every player in your lineup to win. Uh, so I will throw Boyd in there as like a secondary option. 
Uh, 49ers here, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, with KC coming in and KC's offense looking pretty good these last few weeks, like they're going to put up points, you, you would think, especially with how the 49ers offense is so banged up, a defense is so banged up, excuse me. But Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, their values go down with Christian McCaffrey in San Francisco in the future. Not, not for this weekend, though, because Christian McCaffrey is only going to get so many snaps. Uh, these guys are going to get their targets. And if we get any type, even like a semi-shootout with KC in San Francisco, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, man, like these guys are going to be in an awesome, awesome position to rack up targets, and their yards after the catch ability is second to none. Uh, and we talked about throwing Jimmy G into our player pool there as well. Um, I'll go down. I'm going down salary wise here, and kind of as soon as I mention one guy, I'll talk about his teammate. So Michael Pittman for me, 16, 17 targets last week. You know, could the game plan be the exact same? Well, you have an even better matchup against a worse secondary in the Titans than you did last week against the Jaguars. And with that being the case, I don't mind throwing Alec Pierce. You know, at you know sub 4,500. Paris Campbell's under 4,000. Campbell had uh, 10 plus targets himself last week. You know, shallow ADOC guy. Pierce is the more downfield uh, vertical stretcher there. He got he got in with a late touchdown last week. Pierce is, is showing up on our buy low receiving yards model over the last three. We use different samples, right? We look at the whole season of data. We look at just week six data and we look at the last three weeks to see who is popping on each of those three data sets. And Pierce is popping as a buy low in our last three weeks of data with the amount of air yards and targets he's been getting in that offense. Again, talented rookie role is growing, gaining more trust from the coaches, the play calling, and with the quarterback as well there. So you can see defenses start to focus in on Pittman, like, hey, we can't let this guy get 13, 14 catches again. Well, you know what? That's going to leave more room for Alec Pierce to be open and make those big plays down the field like we've seen him make already as a rookie this season. Uh, Mike Williams, I, I absolutely love, you know, a, actually with Keenan Allen coming back and Keenan Allen actually projecting to be the highest owned player, you know, good salary point. I, I just, I just love Mike, Mike Williams. Like he, he was absolutely crushing it the last few weeks. And then last week ran into Patrick Sertan, like Patrick Sertan is the one guy this year. I would say where if your top receiver is a perimeter guy and he's going to be lined up against Sertan, like you kind of got to play him if he's a guy like Mike Williams, but you know, it's not going to be a good outing. And Sertan's probably been the best DB in the league this year. So I'm not going to knock Mike Williams for that. Herbert wasn't really looking his way all that often. But this matchup, uh, Seattle's defense is, is bottom of the league in terms of allowing explosive plays through the air. So I absolutely love Mike Williams coming in at extremely, extremely low ownership compared to what we're seeing. Like just for example here, and again, I'm using established to runs, uh, ownership projections, and then cross-referencing them with a few other sites. But uh, you're looking at, I think it's Keenan Allen is going to be like Keenan Allen actually might not be as owned as what we thought before. So Keenan Allen, 5.5%, Mike Williams, 5%. So, you know, normally you don't look to play these guys together with how their kind of roles are slot guy versus big play guy down the field. But it, in that ownership percentage case, like I, I wouldn't mind mixing and matching my Justin Herbert. I'll stack Herbert with Eckler and Williams. I'll stack Herbert with, uh, Eckler, Williams, and Everett and do a Herbert triple stack because that passing rate over expectation for the Chargers is just so high. Uh, I, I want to get pieces of the Chargers offense really bad this weekend. Like that's the number one place I'm looking to target uh, because of the matchup against Seattle's defense, even more so than uh, Dallas because Dallas, we know that, and, and Rob brought it up as Zeke Elliott is one of his top leverage plays is that, you know, 
Dallas could just be up in this game with their defense and they might want to ease Dak back in and, and they might run the ball more than usual uh, after they're able to build a lead, right? Well, that's the story you can tell yourself, but you know, with the Chargers build a big lead, they're not the type of team that's just going to run it down your throat with Eckler. I think they're still going to put their foot on the gas pedal there. So I, I really want to get even DeAndre Carter to a lesser extent. If they're playing three wide receiver sets, like Josh Palmer's already been ruled out. Uh, Everett got into full practice to close the week. He's healthy now. So you're looking at – and Parham's out. So, you know, I think Everett's going to be due for a really big role. Seattle's been the worst in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight end. So, man, like Herbert, Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and then DeAndre Carter, you know, super low price. No one's really going to play him much. But correlating him with those stacks to where Herbert goes off, throws for four touchdowns, you're getting two to Mike Williams, one to DeAndre Carter, and then another touchdown – or two touchdowns from Eckler, and you're you're cooking with gas there in in these tournaments as long as you're not playing in the Millie Maker uh, type of field. So, uh, really, really want to attack uh, again. Stress that I want to attack like my my biggest uh, lineups in terms of how many players from a certain game I'm going to play. That's going to be my number one target this week in terms of like, yeah, I do want to attack Detroit, Dallas. I do want to attack KC, San Francisco. And to a lesser extent, I would say the fourth one would be Atlanta, Cincinnati. But number one for me is absolutely going to be Seattle uh, uh, against LAC. And I would say that uh, also that I, I really want to get some DK Metcalf back on the other side, projected for about 15%, really down game last week. But man, like he just needs one play to go off and he could give you multiple big plays. Uh, 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 the Chargers defense has been nothing that we're going to shy away from. JC Jackson's good defensive back they brought in the offseason. Like he was benched last week. Hasn't been playing that well. Coach's a little bit disappointed on him. So we saw Cooper go off for a big game uh, against this team a few weeks back and Metcalf, way more talent than Cooper. I think he can have a nice bounce back spot here where Lockett concerns me a little bit because uh, he was actually downgraded during the week. And, that, and that's what scares me about Renfro too, is like these guys that are downgraded, they, they practice in full on a Thursday and then they actually miss practice on a Friday. That, that historically has not been a good sign. Uh, for guys' health, and it, it's not a blanket statement. Like it's never going to be 100 percent one way or the other. But man, like I, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant to play uh, Renfro to play uh, Lockett. Those guys, I'm not sure if they're going to be in my pool at all this week. Even though I, I do understand the case, if you want to make them for some of these stack stacking opportunities with the quarterbacks. Uh, uh, I, uh, early in the week, I was higher on Sutton and Judy, but. I'm not sure if I'll, I'm not sure how much I want to play these guys. The, the the Jets secondary was one to attack earlier in the year, coming into the year. But man, you talk about uh, Gardner Johnson, uh, Quinton Williams at, on the front. Uh, this is was Salah running the defense. Like this is actually a really good defense with the Jets and with the quarterback uncertainty. Russ, either is he going to play? Is he going to be 100? Uh, percent I think he's going to play. But man, like it's it, I'm worried about the the Broncos passing attack here and, and maybe you play Dolchich in a cash game lineup at 2500 but he's even projecting to be a little chalky uh in tournaments so I'm a little concerned about maybe I just play Brees Hall as a complete one-off in this game uh, maybe that maybe in the Jets defense is going to be a chalky too and you, you kind of don't want to play the chalky defense when it comes to tournaments either so Broncos defense and Brees Hall uh, that actually could be a good correlation because Brees Hall could catch a ton of passes and the Broncos could you know, maybe get a pick six on Zach Wilson. So that's kind of the only way I'm looking for the Broncos game. Uh, maybe I'll sprinkle in like one Sutton and Hall mini stack, maybe one Judy and Hall mini stack. I, I can't go anywhere else in that game. I'm, I'm completely not playing any Jets 
Pats catchers uh, in this spot. Only Jets player I'm considering is Brees Hall and Jets defense. Uh, and Jets defense would be in smaller field stuff where you don't have to worry about uh, ownership percentages as much. Uh, right, let's move down just a little bit. We'll try to get through this uh, pretty quick here to wrap this up. But the rest of the receivers that I'm looking at for my player pool, I, I love the spot for the Browns. Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones. If you actually look at a lot of the uh, – buy low wide receiver models like we have our buy low uh, our own uh, proprietary buy low model for receiving yards uh, different than the buy low models in the fantasy DFS industries like we're looking at it just from a player prop perspective but I still like to use ours and compare it to uh, guys like established to run PFF uh, 444.com their breakout receiver model and see what guys are similar are, 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 are popping up in multiple places. And, and Donovan Peoples-Jones is one guy that's popped up in quite a few different breakout by low wide receiver models this week. So at a very low price tag for him, uh, I do like, you know, playing a Lamar Jackson. Uh, maybe you stack Lamar with Andrews and you run it back with a, a Browns receiver, either Cooper or DPJ, or maybe you play uh, both of them and, and you hope for a little bit of a back and forth in that contest. It's tough to run on – the Ravens, which is why I haven't talked about Nick Chubb. I don't really like his spot here, but I do like Cooper and DPJ and also David and Joku t- to an extent, which we'll get to at tight end in a second here. But uh, again, like I'm trying to group these pass catchers together because, you know, I want to talk about the correlation, like high end price to low end price. And how do we want to play these guys together and not just list off a bunch of names here? So uh, uh, maybe the format in the future will be like, wide receiver tight end together because we kind of always want to get our tight ends correlated with the rest of our passing attack lineups. So uh, again, like Cooper and Donovan Peoples Jones, like I'm looking at them like, yeah, I could play them with Lamar and Jackson, uh, Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. I could actually play Lamar naked and play Cooper and deep and or DPJ one or the two or both. Uh, I, I kind of would really only want to play one of them, but I could see a case where maybe even like a, you take one dart through a lineup and, and you do uh, Cooper DPJ together with a uh, with a Kenyon Drake and you assume the Ravens just run all over the league's worst run defense and the Browns have to throw. Cooper's usage has been phenomenal these last few weeks. I think he's like some of the usage models out there. He's been like the number one highest used receiver in terms of air yards. So uh, I, you know, if you've heard me on these podcasts over the years, you know I've never been big on Cooper's talent, excuse me, but Cooper, uh, the proof's in the pudding. The usage is there. The air yards are there. Like, I don't I don't mind saying that, hey, I don't think he's the most talented wide receiver out there when it comes to, like, direct shadow matchups, but I don't think he's going to get that, and he's got a good matchup here. So I, I like Cooper this week, and I like him for the rest of the season for fantasy as well. I'll definitely come around on Amari Cooper in his situation this year in Cleveland. He's playing well. So uh, hats off to Cooper, and uh, sorry about all, all the shade uh, all the shade from past podcasts. Uh uh, Alan Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, we talked about them. I don't want to get too much into that. Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, we talked about them. Uh, Jaguars receivers next down on the list on salaries, Christian Kirk. And, and with Christian Kirk, I will throw in Zay Jones and even Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones is kind of an unknown. He's been questionable all week. I think he got in a limited practice on Friday, but double-check the reports on that. Uh, Zay Jones is actually popping up in quite a few of these buy-low models as well. He's in one of ours, I think, Zay – Zay Jones is in our total season by low receiving yards model. So weeks one through six, who are the guys that have underperformed the most in the box score based off the opportunities and usage they're getting? Like air, things like air yards, targets, um, 
everything like that. We have a whole bunch of things going on at once. We're using multiple years of, 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 of data reference to create this model and then see what the inputs are to give us results for the 2022 season. Usually when you get six weeks of data under your belt, you're, you're getting a pretty decent sample in for these types of models here. So Zay Jones, surprisingly, was top six on our list. Uh, the other guys were Deontay Johnson. He's he's there every week in everyone's model. So uh, we'll see uh, how that plays out. He just might be there all year, and we might just have to redact his name or something like that. But uh, Tyler Lockett's on there. But again, like I'm worried about his uh, – his injury status, truly, like we heard Pete Carroll say, oh, he's fine, but that, that's the last guy I want to trust when it comes to injury optimism is Pete Carroll. Uh, Amari Cooper's on the list, Brandon Cook's on the list, and Mark Andrews is actually on our list. Uh, so, again, like, man, Andrews and Cooper, both on the, our buy low list at the same time. That's something I didn't say before. Like, you want to fade Lamar, highest owned quarterback on the slate, just play a mini stack where you're playing Andrews at tight end and Cooper at receiver. Definitely don't mind that at all. That, that's definitely something I will be considering as well. Um, and then Terry McLaurin had a really good target share with uh, with Taylor Heineke last year. Matchup isn't great here, but it's looking like Dotson's likely not to play. He reactivated his hamstring in practice this week. Uh, I'm still a little skeptical on Terry McLaurin, but his ownership percentage is so low uh, that – you expect the Packers are going to get a lead in this game. You think, right? But we don't know. So I think Terry McLaurin with an Aaron Jones is is a correlation that I could see where Aaron Jones, explosive runner, breaks off some plays, puts the Washington football team, commanders, whatever you want to call them, in a position where they got to throw. And it's going to be pretty much only McLaurin with Curtis Samuel racking up some kind of worthless targets underneath to an extent. So I do like Terry McLaurin. I have not included Curtis Samuel in, in my wide receiver pool. I'm, uh, if I go anywhere with that game, it's going to be Terry McLaurin. But I much rather prefer playing the other side, which is the Packers wide receivers uh, with uh, Brian Robinson, like I talked about. Uh, obviously, with the Chiefs guys, like I, I think with the Chiefs, honestly, you can mix and match like pretty much all these guys in, in different stacks with Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes is expensive, but these guys aren't. You know, Juju, MVS. Even McCall Harbin and Sky Moore, like, I don't mind throwing them in uh, to a certain stack in this game here uh, just to give yourself some salary relief here. Like, if, if Hardman catches three balls for 40 yards and a touchdown like he did last week, like, you're, you're, you're going to be just fine there, especially with the ownership percentage being what it is. And Sky Moore is, like, his snaps, routes, targets, like, they're just starting to tick up, like, a little bit every week, every week. I don't know if this is the week because they have a bye next week, so then maybe in two weeks from now he'll, he'll really start to tick up. But uh, at 3,400 or, or whatever he is, like in that range, like, man, like it's kind of hard not to include him in my pool. Just like maybe he'll get into a lineup, maybe he won't, but he's, he's an option there to look at. If, if I somehow find myself where I got two spots left to fill out and it's a defense and a, and a third or fourth wide receiver, like maybe I will consider Sky Moore and just see what I can do, kind of play with those roster configurations there. Uh couple guys here at the bottom, like I'm not sure if I want to play these guys, honestly, but I thought the, the salary was good enough to where maybe they could be an option. Robert Woods, uh, you know, if the Titans fall behind and they have to throw, well, the Colts defense has been pretty good against the run, not really so good against the pass. So, you know, no trail on Burks there. Robert Woods could definitely rack up some alpha volume targets from Tannehill, even though don't really love that play all, all too much. I'm not going to lie, but he's there. Uh, Drake London, s- similar thing, like, the pass rate for the Falcons. I know it's probably going to go up a little bit, but I don't know if it's going to go up a lot of it, if you know what I mean. So 
little concerned about the the volume for for London, uh, even though the Bengals' defense hasn't been playing that great the last few weeks. The problem is, is that DJ Reader's out for the Bengals. He's their he's probably their best run stopper on the D line. So him being out, it almost like plays into the Falcons' hands even more. Like they're gonna try to just run clock, kill clock. They don't want Bur- Burrow on the other side having more time to run plays for the Bengals. So I'm a little worried about this game getting there from an overall plays and snap volume perspective. So I get every week I understand understand London and Pitts. There's upside just based off those guys and one of us playing quarterback throwing them the ball. But realistically, it's hard for me to see them getting there. So if you're going to play a Falcons pass catcher, I, I just I would not play London and Pitts together. That's just me. I think way more often than not, that's not going to be an optimal way to go about uh, with the pass rate and the offensive identity we've seen from Atlanta. Uh, I will throw Rashad Bateman in there. Uh, you know, Cleveland's defense, we talked about them being the worst against the run, but they're not really that great against the pass either. So you could definitely see some Lamar double stacks. Like, I, I don't know if I would be comfortable playing Bateman without Andrews, but I think a, a double stack with Lamar, uh, with uh, Bateman and Andrews running it back with a Cooper, I, I think could be a viable option there. And then Last two guys here, DJ Moore, Wandell Robinson. We talked about Robinson being that price point salary relief uh, for you, and his ownership, I think, is going to be at a good enough level to where we can just throw him in as a one-off if we need to. Uh, uh, maybe Wandale and Travis Etienne together. Uh, DJ Moore, man, like ugliest play for sure, but McCaffrey's gone, Robinson's gone. Like, okay, if, if DJ Moore catches like 10 balls for 15 yards with the negative A dot they had last year in that pa- last week in that passing attack, like maybe that's enough and he, he lucks into a touchdown or something. I, I don't know if I'm going to play DJ Moore. Again, these these bottom five or six guys I'm talking about, like I, I, I just thought they were worth mentioning. You know, you're talking about like a Fournette and, and DJ Moore mini stack. I You know, there's some correlation there. Uh, maybe you want to play, you know, Brady to Evans and Godwin double stack with bring it back with DJ Moore. Uh, he's going to get a, a huge target share. That's all I know. And if J- honestly, if Jacob Beeson comes in at halftime, you know that, that's one prop I played already was PJ Walker under, even though it's like kind of a square play because the guy throws for thirty yards last week and you play his under one sixty this week. I actually think it's not halfway bad because uh, there, there's a chance Jacob Beeson could wind up playing in this game and playing early. So uh, I, I definitely like the PJ Walker, and I think if Easton comes in, it's better for DJ Moore. So that's why I just want to bring that up real quick. Uh, you know, Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle at the top, obviously all uh, you know great plays at tight end. We talked about Andrews, uh, Kelsey. Obviously, is like you can fit him in in a, in a Mahomes double stack because those other receivers are so cheap in running it back. Same thing with Kittle. Like you can get Kittle in there. Uh, you can have a Jimmy G double stack with Kittle, Debo. Uh, and then run it back with uh, even Travis Kelsey in the flex, I, I think is like, that's like the, there's very rare occasions during the year where you can play two tight ends in a tournament lineup. But I definitely think this week is one of them just because of that game alone with Kelsey and Kittle there and the correlation they provide uh, with each other. We saw the targets go up a lot for Kittle last week. Hawkinson, uh, you know, they're going to have St. Brown back. He's fully healthy. He's looking like he's fully healthy. Swift, maybe he's limited. And Reynolds has been banged up. It's looking like Reynolds is going to play. He got into limited practice on Friday. Shark is out. So just by default, like, you know, with this pass rush, I know that the Lions offensive line is still pretty good, but it's it just could force Goff to look more underneath. And when he's looking underneath, to me, the guys are St. Brown, Hawkinson, and Swift. So 
I definitely could see a case for Hawkinson uh, if you're playing these, uh, if you're trying to attack that Detroit and, and Dallas game there. So I think there's some decent opportunity for him, especially with the Lions possibly playing from behind uh, in that matchup. So, and, and he's coming in surprisingly at extremely low ownership too, even though his ceiling projection is not bad. When you look at the top five guys on the slate, uh, Hawkinson's coming in under $5,000 salary. So not super cheap, but not super expensive either. And he's got the fourth highest ceiling projection on the slate, only behind Andrews, Kelsey, and Kittle. So I, I do really like Hawkinson just as part of that game environment there uh, as, as throwing him into some, you know, Dak double stack with uh, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and throwing in TJ Hawkinson in there. Or let's say you want to have a double bring back and you have Amon Ross St. Brown and TJ Hawkinson and, and you're really attacking that game heavy. So I, I think those are ways you can, you can get a little more unique uh, playing the TJ Hawkinson. Uh, talking about Pitts, talk about Njoku, I will consider them, but again, like Pitts isn't really a priority for me unless like, he's just an easy way to correlate the tight end spot with my Bengals double stacks. And then I will say that with Njoku, you know, talked about the Browns needing to pass and you can pass against the Ravens. So I, I definitely don't mind Njoku with the Cooper, uh, uh, w- with those types of game stacks either. And then a couple other guys here. Talked about Gerald Everett. I really like Gerald Everett the more the week has gone on. And with that matchup there, with, with no Joshua Palmer, with Keenan Allen coming in off a lengthy absence, and with the Seahawks being so bad against tight ends, like the three guys I really want to play together. And I'll probably do like a couple double stacks and, a, and even a triple stack. Like I really like the Herbert, Eckler, Williams, Everett triple stack with like one bring back from Seattle, probably Metcalf. Uh, I, I think there's just a ton of ways to soak up that upside from the passing game for the Chargers there. And after being bottled up by Denver last week, I think they're going to want to unleash some big plays on the Seahawks defense. So really like Everett there, especially with no Parham. Parham made into his targets a little bit last week, but Parham's been ruled out with a concussion already. So the only other tight end on the roster is Trey McKitty. And I think Everett's due for that, that, that starting tight end role to get a decent amount of targets thrown his way, even with Keenan Allen back. I've got Tunyon and Dalton Schultz. I, I, again, I think Schultz can be involved. You know, he, he's Dak's guy from last year. Even in week one when Dak didn't play well, Schultz had like seven catches for 60-something yards. So he's a PPR. He can rack up those PPR easy targets. Him and Dak have a clear connection. He practiced in full all week. I wouldn't look at any of the bad games he's had with Cooper Rush as any indication of like him losing a step or anything or losing any juice. Um, and then Hayden Hurst, throw him in those stacks with the with the Bengals players. I think he's viable there. Revenge game against the Falcons, even though he's been banged up a little bit this week. Uh, Robert Tunyon, obviously, if the Packers are going to throw, he's going to be involved. Uh, he was on our buy low list, I think, for – yeah, just looking at week six data, uh, Tunyon did make our list because he had 12 targets, uh, only had – you know, only had – uh, 10 catches, but 10 catches, 12 targets, and only 90 yards, you're, you're going to see like, hey, this guy could be actually due for more production if he sustains any type of like similar workload in the future. So uh, I don't expect 12 targets, 10 catches again for Tunyon, but he did pop up on at least one or two other of the buy low models that we're looking at. And when you looked at weeks four through six data, he's still popping up at the bottom of our, our buy low receiving yards model as well there. So I don't mind uh, Tunyon. Uh, thrown in, uh, not as a one-off piece for me, but <clears throat> if we're going to attack the Packers passing game, 
definitely would could, could see a case for like you don't want to play Lazard and Dobbs. Like you could play Lazard and Tunyon. You can play Dobbs and Tunyon together. I wouldn't go more than two pass catchers for the Packers, but uh, I definitely think mixing them in as one of those two uh, could be a viable way to go there. Uh, we brought up Ingram. I would say Bellinger to an extent. Uh, you know, not really sure if he makes the final cut for me, but he has shown a rapport with Daniel Jones. He has a rookie ascending role in that offense, similar to Wendell Robinson. And, you know, he, he could get there just based off his salary and, and get you, you know, falls into the end zone with a touchdown. So uh, not too big on him, but I, I could see a case. And then a couple guys I have listed at the lower end. These these are more of the chalky guys, Kate Otten, Greg Dolchich. Uh, I love these guys for season long, especially Dolchich. I actually have Dolchich ranked as a top 10 tight end this week. I know it's a little bit of an overreaction maybe the last week. I don't think it is. I think that uh, his pass catching role, his coaching regime drafted him and Alberto is a healthy scratch. That, that's all you need to know. And Greg Dolch's first game back for all season long, his first career game ever, we saw the usage there already. And we know Russell Wilson all year has been looking at his tight ends. And if you combine all the Broncos tight ends into one tight end, and that's Dolchich from now on, and he's even better than those other guys, then I think you're looking at a pretty good option there in Denver. So uh, monitor his like ownership projection status. Like That's something I'll be doing. And if he's coming in, he's like in that ten to fifteen percent range. So at twenty five hundred, like I don't know if that's all that bad, honestly. Uh, not going to be playing him a ton, but maybe sneak him into one or two tournament lineups at thirteen percent ownership might not be the worst thing in the world. Being that he's going to get me so much other options because he's only twenty five hundred. I think that's the key point. Is at twenty five hundred, he can give you some good options there, and he, I think he has some upside. I think Dolchich actually does, as opposed to Zach Gentry last week, who's like pretty much had zero upside. His upside was like five for 50. I think Dolchich is more of like a three for 30, five for 50 guy. Uh, has some big playability. A uh, couple guys, like complete bottom of the barrel here. Uh, Cole Turner. And then the three Colts tight ends, man. Like you want to throw in a, a Matt Ryan double stack with Matt Ryan, uh, Michael Pittman, and then just throw a super cheap 2,500 tight end with Colin Granster, Jelani Woods. Uh, Mo Ali Cox is 3,000. I just like, he's been actually the lowest used tight end in that group, but you never know if Frank Reich, like he uses all three tight ends and he could use Mo Ali Cox again more this week than he has in previous weeks. But I, I think that is a good way to like get some touchdown equity. Uh, Jelani Woods and Mo Ali Cox, these guys are like, they're like freaking six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine. Like they're just monsters on the field. So with the pass rate, with, with the Colts, if that's sticky at all, um, Colin Granson led the tight end group in targets, and we know Frank Gregg loves to use his tight end, so I just kind of had to throw them in there at, at that price point. Uh, last thing here, moving on to, to defense, is one to talk about is the overall, for me, like, and Rob talks about this in his articles on, on the site, and is like, you know, defense is usually the last thing you're filling out for a tournament here, and a lot of times, like, you don't really want to force any type of correlation because. Uh, it's really hard to predict defensive performance overall. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at for defense is like just figure out like what what can you wind up fitting in here that's going to make kind of everything else work and looking at the cheaper options for sure. Like I was actually really surprised to see that the Panthers, I know that's like it's kind of like everything's in flux there and they're kind of like selling off all their pieces. But if we're going to get the Panthers at less than 1% ownership at 2200 Usually those the, the cheapest defenses are the ones that are going to be chalky, but P. 
Panthers defense isn't bad. They've got JC Horn on the outside. They've got a halfway decent pass rush. The Bucks offense line is a mess. Like you want to get leverage off Chris Godwin at 20 per, uh, 20% possible ownership. Like I actually like the Panthers defense here, man. Like if I thought they were going to be chalky, it's looking like they're not going to be chalky. So uh, I'm really liking uh, the, the upside that that can bring uh, for sure. So definitely got my eye on the Panthers defense. And then, I will say overall, the other defense that caught my eye is the what is it? Why am I having trouble looking here? Oh, the the Giants defense against the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence has really been struggling at twenty nine hundred. I don't mind that. Colts defense twenty eight hundred. Uh, even the Texans defense at at, at twenty three hundred. Everyone's playing Josh Jacobs. They're going to be looking to play Carr, maybe Adams a little bit to an extent. You know, you could just play the Texas defense and get out of there, and and they have a halfway decent defense with some with some young talent there at twenty three hundred. You could do a lot worse, that's for sure. Um, I would say like once you start getting up to like Falcons are projecting like close to ten percent, Broncos, Bucks, Titans, Packers, Jets. Like I kind of want to get away from those guys because you know it, it's impossible to predict this defensive stuff and if if we're going to start getting into these you know chalky for defense is usually when you get up to like that 10% range so i kind of want to stay away uh from those options there but that pretty much wraps it up here um i do want to mention that when it comes to uh the flag plants like i'm looking for guys that are projecting for between you know let's say less than 10% ownership and to me, the guys that stand out the most this week are uh, Travis Etienne at running back, projecting for less than 5%, and then Mike Williams for the Chargers, uh, projecting it at about 5% ownership right now. I think Mike Williams, his ceiling games are like slate-winning, contest-winning games. And if we're going to get him at 5% against the worst secondary, arguably, in the league, allowing explosive plays at one of the highest rates in the league, uh, I, I just, to me, it's like all signals go to play Mike Williams in this game. And I actually don't even mind fading Keenan Allen to an extent because Keenan Allen, veteran player, they have the bye coming up next week. Like I, I'm, I'm a, honestly, I'm a little skeptical of like why they're even playing Keenan Allen. I don't know if Keenan Allen's been a hundred percent cleared to play yet. Like I think all the news is pointing to him playing, but wouldn't be surprised to see him like on a limited snap count in that game. And uh, big playability, maybe not there with Allen, although you know, obviously he's in the mix. But uh, Mike Mike Williams, to me, is a clear monster performance at 5%. Fantastic matchup. Great game environment. Pass rate. Uh, p- uh, pace of play. Total snaps projected. Like, everything is, is, is green light, green light, green light for Mike Williams. He's absolutely my favorite wide receiver leverage play on this slate. Uh, ETN, uh, we talked about the growing role and he's my flag plant, uh, top leverage play for week seven. I, I just love them. The matchup against the giants who have struggled to defend the run again, like we saw that last week and he's, uh, Travis ETN has kind of ascended that, you know, any type of matchup he can beat with his efficiency. The giants are dead last in ESPN's run stop win rate metric, according to our cheat, our betting props cheat sheet. So uh, that's enough for me to throw ETN and at, his, at, his, at his price point. He can give you that same salary, salary relief that some of these higher owned chalky running backs can get you. And, you know, Kenneth Walker, Damian Pierce. Well, you know what? We could be talking about ETN in that same type of role next week because Robinson's efficiency has been going down week after week. So ETN for me, uh, wouldn't mind even playing him just as, just as a one-off in that game and not playing any other guys uh, from that Jacksonville Giants game. Williams, uh, not using him as a one-off, but 
definitely going to be the focal point of how I try to attack uh, the Chargers offense and uh, paying up for guys like Eckler and uh, throwing Mike Williams in there and paying up for Herbert to an extent. And I can save salary with ETN. I can save salary with the Panthers defense at just bottom of the barrel, 2,200. So these are ways that I'm looking to fit these guys in, correlate them, uh, get an advantage on my uh, on my competition in my tournament by trying to get the lowest cumulative ownership I can. And those are just my overall thoughts for now. And, and like I've created a few early week lineups just to play around with some salary flexibility, but I'll be mostly creating most of my lineups for tournaments over the next 24 hours here uh, by hand, probably submitting like anywhere from like, you know, half dozen to like maybe nine or 10 at the most uh, based off the stuff we're talking about here. So anyways, appreciate everybody listening. This is a new podcast, new format. I know we're not going to be going solo pod most of these weeks like today. I know Rob did the first 25 minutes, but I wanted to touch on all these positions. I want to, uh, we're, I'm putting my player pool for the main slate in our premium Discord channel every week uh, so people can get a full list of everyone that I'm considering position by position. And I'm kind of breaking down, like, who are the chalky plays within that pool so people can know, like, hey, like, you know, Chris has uh, Kenneth Walker in his running back pool and he's got CeeDee Lamb. Well, you know what? He has the chalk listed right next to each of those guys with the projected ownership percentage. Like, I know that maybe we don't want to play – both those guys together or three chalk guys together because uh, we want to watch out for that total ownership percentage there. So just some things here. Uh, any feedback you guys can give us would be absolutely fantastic. To you know, What's what's helpful to you the most uh, to give you the most actionable information uh, to set your DFS lineups, your season-long lineups to an extent, if this helps you at all for that too, or for player props in addition to the Money Picks podcast that Sleepy and I are doing every week. So uh, without further ado, appreciate everybody listening. If you're listening to this point, hopefully it's been a little bit helpful for you. Uh, We don't ask this for much, but uh, in order for us to keep pumping out all this free content, if you could please leave us a review rate rating on whatever podcast app you listen to, whether it's Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher radio, whatever it is, uh, please leave us a review. If you can, we'd be oh so appreciative of that. Uh, with that, you can find me on Twitter, all my stuff, uh, as well as on bettingpredators.com. You can find me on Twitter at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D Journalist. You can sign up for our free Discord channel. Just scroll to the bottom of any article on the site this past week, and you'll see links to join our free Discord channel, as well as our free Substack newsletter, which we're putting out between once and twice a week as well, recapping all of our content every week in like an easy-to-read, all-in-one-place type of format. So, Trying to do some really cool free tools for everybody. Our cheat sheet is live every week. We update on we update that on Tuesday or Wednesday. We update our buy low model usually on Thursdays. Uh, we're going to start publishing those on the site. We've, we've been putting those in Discord for now for the, for those people to kind of kind of get a sneak peek at those. But as we start to like really ramp up the data and get more samples under our belt uh, for the week for the year uh, each week that goes by, uh, we're, we're going to start coming up with ways we might create dedicated pages on the site for each of those things. I think they'd be really cool tools to use uh, for people in the future and they're going to all be free for now. So with that, make sure to check us out, bettingpredators.com and we'll catch you next time.